All right, I am excited uh, to see all of y'all here, and uh, you had an excuse not to come with this 12 o'clock Cowboy game. They've done it to us twice in a row. Today's a practice game, though, so we don't have to worry about it, right, because they're playing the Dolphins, so don't worry about it. But I appreciate your faith that I'm going to preach on time today, so of uh, you being here, and we will... Uh, be considered every time. I, I do want you to go ahead, take out your phones if you haven't already. The scripture is going to be on your phones most likely. If you have a Bible like that, we're going to start off in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But in your, on your phone, you can go to connectionpoint.life and you can find the uh, sermon note card. And if you find that sermon note card, you'll see all of the notes for today. I do want to tell you that today a little bit different. I've actually used two different translations on the notes um, on your phone. So uh, don't get confused. In fact, next series that we're going to start is going to kind of go over why we have different versions of the Bible. And so we'll get into that. But I just want to let you know, usually I use the ESV, but um, that's neither here nor there. Let's go ahead and continue this series we've been going through, Technologically Challenged. Now, when I think about this series, we've been thinking a lot about how technology, and as my son would tell you, it's really just the, how your phone is bad, and that's not the point of this series. It's how that we can view technology through a different lens. And today, we're not really even going to hit on technology much, but it's a principle, I think, that applies to, to technology. And I want to start off by um, telling you something that you already know and that is very apparent, okay? Now, when I was in college... I'm going to tell you a story to, to get to this thing you already know. When I was in college, I had a roommate. His name was Jeremy Halpin. He was my twin brother. In fact, he's right there in a white shirt if you want to look at him awkwardly. Now, my twin brother, he's an elder here, and we roomed together. And you may not know this about twin brothers. We share the same birthday as well, which is kind of odd. And so on his birthday, I thought, I'm going to get him a gift. And I got him a gift when we were in college as roommates. I got him a shirt. Now, this shirt I thought was a pretty cool shirt. It was a red golf shirt. It was a Tiger Woods golf shirt. In fact, it was a dry fit before dry fit was even a thing. And it was a pretty sweet shirt. And so I gave him this shirt as a gift. And he took it. He put it in his closet. It was great. And about two weeks later, I was thinking to myself, you know what? It is hot in Austin today. You know what I could really use is a nice dry fit shirt to walk to class in. And so I went into his closet and I got the shirt that I gave him and I wore it and it was all sweaty because I'd been to class and back. And so he saw me in that shirt and he said, isn't that my shirt? And I said, yes, that's your shirt. I'm going to wash it. I'll give it right back to you. I washed it, put it in with my laundry and when you know, it got put in my closet. Okay. Now for about the next two, would you say two, maybe two or three decades, it was... It would, this would happen occasionally over and over again. He would see me in this shirt, and then he would say, isn't that my shirt? And it got to be where we graduated college, I got married, and he would still see me in this shirt. He would still say, isn't that my shirt? And I would, you know, by then I was like, I think it used to be, but I think you just kind of gave it to me at some point. But here's what I want you to know that you already know. See, he would see me in the shirt. It would come to his mind. And it's easy to see that something shouldn't be there when it's there. It's easy for him to look at me and say, that shirt shouldn't be there. It should be in my closet. But every time that I didn't wear the shirt, he wouldn't randomly think I should be wearing that shirt. It's hard to see something that's not there. That's a pretty obvious statement, but it needs to be said. It's hard to see something that's not there because, and the reason this is important, most of us in this place 
have something missing in our life, and we don't even know it. You don't know it because you can't see it because it's hard to see something that's not there. And, and what's even more difficult about the situation is that more than half of us in this room have never seen this really, really um, used in our life or modeled in our life. And I'm going to give you an example of this. If you are, I'm over 40, so I'm in this crowd, but if you are over 40, you'll probably be able to answer this, this question. You may not be, maybe have to be over 50 or 60 to answer the question, but here's a riddle. Okay. Now, when I was nine years old, I got some birthday money, okay? I wanted to go get a toy with this birthday money, so I, I got my money together. I gave this money to my mom. This really happened. I, I said to my mom, hey, I want to go buy a gift today. Can we go to Kmart? Can we? That's where we would buy uh, toys. Can I go buy toys with my birthday money? And my mother said, you cannot buy any toys today because it's Sunday. Now, the riddle is, why could we not buy anything on Sunday. Who in here over, uh, that's over 40 with experience knows the reason to this? All right, go ahead. Let's say it together then. What's the reason? Blue laws. Now, if you're under 40, you're like, what the heck is a blue law? A blue law is when I was growing up as a little kid, and some of us remember, it was actually illegal to open a store on the Sabbath, on Sundays. In fact, you still see remnants of blue laws. Right now, car dealerships can only be open one or two days on the weekends. Alcohol sales are still affected right now in many places by blue laws. But growing up, for, for my family, it's not just that we didn't do much on Sunday. It's that there wasn't much to do on Sunday because life shut down. And so one of the things that you don't even realize if you're under the age of 40, and even if you're over the age of 40 because it's been so long, is there used to be a time where life just stopped for a day. And we have lost this, and most of us don't even remember that, that feeling of what it was like to know, I have nothing to do on this day. And so today we are going to talk about something that I think is a principle that is so misunderstood that my hope is that when we get done with this sermon, you'll think, I cannot wait until I can add some blue laws back into my life. We are going to talk about the Sabbath. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Um, you can find it on your phones as well, either on your Bible app or simply on our sermon notes at connectionpoint.life. Now, Remember, and if you don't remember this, I'll tell it to you for the first time, that the Ten Commandments were these rules, we talked about them two weeks ago, were these commands that were given to the nation of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They had come out of Egypt. And the first time is in Exodus chapter 20. Moses gets it to all of these former slaves, and he gives them these, these rules that are going to help them navigate life for the first time in their newfound freedom. But in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where we're seeing the same laws, but it's not the same audience. This time the audience is the children of the people who, in Exodus 20, okay, all, a whole generation has come and gone, and this is a new generation is about to go into the promised land, or go, about to go into uh, basically Israel or Jerusalem, and, and they're going to have this land. And so Moses thinking, you know what? Their parents knew all these rules, but I'm going to give these young whippersnappers the, 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 the rules again. And so he, he decides to go back through the Ten Commandments with them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And one of the, th the things that 
Whenever I hear the Ten Commandments, especially growing up, I always thought the, the Sabbath was one of the most unusual commands, that God would make that a command. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, this is what it says, starting at verse 12. Observe, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now this word Sabbath, it simply means to rest. It comes from the root of a, of a Hebrew word that means to cease, to stop. Stop working is what it means. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to keep it separate from the other days. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do and you shall not do any work. Now it's at this point that I imagine Moses' his teenage son walks right up next to him and says, oh, great, Dad, that's, good. that's just fantastic. I don't know if he had a teenage son, by the way. Uh, hey, that's just fantastic, Dad. Now I'm going to get to mow the yard because you're going to cease working, so you're going to make me do all the work. To Moses, very quickly, he says, no, 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 listen. You shall not do any work or your son or your daughter. They're not going to do any work either. And so that's when the, his wife comes up. Okay, well, then you're going to do all the work. I'll rest, and you'll do it. And, and she says, no, 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 no. Hey, Moses says, your male slaves aren't going to work. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay, nobody gets it, okay? Oh, that's awkward. He says, your male slaves, not your male servants, your dog, your donkeys. No one's working on the Sabbath, is what he says. No one is going to work. And so he goes through all this. Well, what about if we just have this guy passing through? What if somebody passes through and they want to do some work or we can hire them and make a trade? They'll stay in our place. They'll eat our food and they, they can mow our yard. They can do the work. And he says, listen, for one day, no one's working. No one is going to do any work of any kind. And, and, and they're confused because this seems like a limit. This seems like, oh man, and in fact, many times when we come across commandments, it seems like God just wants to stop us from getting our stuff done. He wants to have it his way, and, and he wants us to stop. He wants to limit us. And so Moses is going to like shake the nation of Israel back to, to their, their right mind. This is what he says. You remember, and they don't remember because this isn't the same group of people that came out of Egypt. This is the children of the people that came out of Egypt. He says, you need to remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You were a slave. There was a day in which you had to work every day. Somebody was telling you, you will always be working. I will tell you when you can eat. I will tell you when you can sleep. You will always be working seven days a week. There was that day. And then he says, and remember, it was the Lord your God who brought you out of there. You didn't get out yourself. You're not in this place right now because you did this yourself. Remember, God did it. And how did he do it? He took you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath, did it, the Sabbath day. In other words, the Sabbath is not there to limit you. It's to liberate you. It's to remind you that once a week, you are not a slave, and you haven't just exchanged masters. You didn't just go from a slave owner to now I, I, I'm my own master. I'll decide when I work. God says, no, this is different. This is fundamentally different. You are no longer slaves, and you will not work every single day. As we have continued to pursue 
our, our freedoms and liberations, we begin to, to look at laws as something that limits us, and we've missed out on a major fundamental idea that we find whenever we see God talk to us. And that, and that is simply this idea that the, the laws of God, especially the Sabbath, is not there to limit you. It's there to liberate you. But yet, when we look at our days, how many of us truly say, you know, I have a day of rest. I, in fact, I am restful. I had as busy a week as any of you. And I will tell you, today I feel pretty good because yesterday I took a Sabbath. And the Longhorns won. But I took a Sabbath yesterday. And I, and I rested. I am well rested for this day. Now, the reason most of us don't observe the Sabbath is we don't see it in the right way. When we, we think that we see it, we think we observe it, but when we observe it, we think we know what it's about. We know kind of what it's about, but we don't actually observe it. We don't actually do it and we don't see it. So I'm going to give you three ways today to observe the Sabbath, three ways to see the Sabbath. And I hope when I give you these three ways, they're going to change the way you normally see the Sabbath. Instead of seeing the Sabbath as something that limits you, I want to see it, you to see it as something that liberates you. And the first thing I want you to see is that the Sabbath is a gift. The Sabbath is a gift. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, so about 600 years after Moses gives this command on behalf of God that you're going to observe the Sabbath, there's this pattern that sets in in Israel. They'll get real gung-ho about, hey, I'm going to have a Sabbath the same way. You hear a good sermon, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to do that for a week, and then life begins to hit you again, and you get back to this point where you're like, you know what? I'm just so busy. i got so much to do. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to work all week this week. And that's what happened to Israel. They get to this point where they just they quit Sabbathing, they quit observing the laws just because life starts hitting them. And so this prophet, Ezekiel, in about the year 600, he, he rises up and he sees what's going on and God puts something on his heart and he begins to speak on behalf of God. That's what a prophet is. Anytime that somebody speaks on behalf of God. And this is what the prophet Ezekiel said about the Sabbath. This is going to be in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 10. Now, he's going to keep this theme of the exodus, of, of, of being freed from slavery. He says this, So I led them out of the land of Egypt, and I brought them into the wilderness. We talked about that last week. And I gave them my statues. Y'all say this with me. I gave them. Y'all say that. I gave them. I gave them. As a gift, I gave them my statutes and made known to them my rules, by which if a person does them, he shall live. Why is God giving us these rules, these commands. He's giving them as a gift so that if you do them, you will live. Remember, they had gone into a place where there were no rules. So one good rule when you have no rules is, hey, don't steal from people. Don't kill people. Those are two rules that I've never heard much objection. God sets these rules that says, if you do these rules, it'll be good for everyone. And some of them are obvious and some of them may not be so obvious. I gave you these rules, but if you live by them, you will live. But moreover, in verse 12, let's say this together again. I gave, I gave them my Sabbaths. The Sabbaths were a gift. I gave them my Sabbath day, um, days of rest as a sign between me and them. It was to remind them that I am the Lord who had set them apart to be holy. He says... You need to understand, I gave you this gift, and this gift has an intention. 
This gift is the, the, the thing that we have that's just ours. It's between us. It's kind of a sign that we, we have this relationship. It's not rules. And you need to understand, every time you read God giving rules, it's never about the rules. It's always the relationship. Before he gave the Ten Commandments, what did he say? He said, I am the Lord your God. I have this relationship with you. All these rules are simply to help us in our relationship. You do the same thing in your family. But look what he says. I gave this as a sign between them that we would have this thing. You know, my family, almost every one of them, in fact, all of my family members, I have something that's kind of just ours. I take uh, my son Clayton here. We go um, out to eat, um, to breakfast sometimes. We share a love for music. Sometimes we play music together. Um, my sons, uh, Oliver and Elliot, I don't know if y'all know this, I do jiu-jitsu. Do y'all know that, Seth? You, ever, you know that? Anyway, we do Brazilian jiu-jitsu together. We, we have fun, and, and several times a week, we are just together having a blast. My daughter, Annie, every single night, I carry her usually on my shoulders to bed. I put her in bed. I, I say a prayer for her. She says a prayer for me, and then I sing her a song every single night. If I don't do this, she comes and she finds me wherever I'm at, and I do that, and we sing a song. My wife, we have things that we do together. My brother and I, we have things we do together. My brother and I eat at the taco joint every other week. Now listen, it's just something that we have. I don't meet anybody else at the taco joint. I don't tuck any, any person in this room other than my daughter. I don't tuck any of y'all in and sing to y'all, okay? It's something that we have. Now, if I show up at the taco joint this week and my brother just doesn't, he just doesn't even come. In fact, if I find out that he was the whole time thinking, you know what, I don't even want to meet him. Golly, I, I think I have something better I would like to do. But you see, God says this is a gift. This is something we have. And, and it's something that is set apart so that you will know no matter what's going on in your life, I saved you with an outstretched arm. I'm strong enough that, that I, can, I can sustain you this whole um, blessing that you're living in. I did all of this. And I did it all simply so we could have some time together. We would have a relationship. So set one day, we have this thing. One day, you don't have to work. You don't have to, to make sure you're... you're world is going to keep revolving. God will spin the earth for you. He says, we have this thing and you're not doing it anymore. Verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They rejected my rules. But if a person does them, they will live. He says, uh, they violated my Sabbath days. They greatly profaned them. In other words, they stopped ceasing to work. They started working. They started trying to do this themselves. And in the meantime, they skipped our meeting. They skipped our day that we had set aside just for us. You see, I believe it'll really, really change your relationship with God if you'll quit viewing your Sabbath this day in which you have a whole bunch of rules, a whole bunch of things in which, oh, you mean you want me to just, you know, you want me to just sit there with God? Hey, I want you to meet with God and enjoy his creation because he set apart this day and he made an appointment. He put you on his calendar and he said, hey, we got this thing and I just want it to be us. Second thing that we've got to start doing as we observe the Sabbath is we've got to learn to observe the Sabbath or see the Sabbath as a glimpse of heaven. See the Sabbath as a glimpse of heaven. And this kind of follows this thought of how do we get around God? Okay, I'm going to jump over to Mark chapter 1 or chapter 2. Because Jesus talks about the Sabbath a little bit. 
Now, when we talk about just spending time with God every single day, on a day, every week, spending one day with God, just that we're not working, we're not doing anything that is considered work to us. This becomes kind of legalistic. This becomes, is very easy to become, okay, well, I'm just going to sit. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to mow the yard, even though I kind of wanted to mow the yard, or I'm not going to go shopping, and I kind of want to shop. Okay, and, and what happens when we talk about the Sabbath is most of us think, great, here's another rule that's going to keep me from having fun. What can I do, okay? Or, or, or you'll have an excuse, I've got so much I've got to do. But this is, well, this is something that Jesus encountered too. And Jesus, when he was encountering this, he spoke directly to this. I'm going to be in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now, Mark was writing this from the perspective of his friend, Peter. He knew a guy named Peter. Peter was best friends with Jesus. And so he gets the perspective of Peter when he writes to us. And he says, Peter told me the story about Jesus, and he was walking with his disciples. Peter was walking with Jesus, and all the disciples that were walking, and they were hungry, and it was the Sabbath. But there's this law that on the Sabbath, you can't harvest grain. And so Jesus being hungry and the disciples being hungry, Jesus started picking grain off of just, you know, wheat, um, stalks of wheat. And the Pharisees, who were religious people, some of the church folk saw them and said, you can't do that. You're supposed to keep this day holy. This is something that God is, it has, it's a limit that God has set on us. You can't enjoy the Sabbath. You can't eat like that on the Sabbath because that is harvesting. You can't harvest. To which Jesus says, I'm not harvesting, okay? I'm not harvesting. And he says, he goes in and, and Mark tells us something very profound that Jesus said. He goes in, he, he tells uh, a, a couple of stories about the Old Testament, but then he says this. He says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The, the son of man, that's his title for himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. He says, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm actually the one who can tell you what the Sabbath is for. And the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. In other words, it was a gift. It was a gift. And when you Sabbath, you don't simply go through a rules of what you can't do. What you do is you go through a rule, of, a set of, of ways in which you can relate to God, in which you can enjoy his creation. You can live a full life, one in which you're not having to provide for yourself, one in which you enjoy what God has provided for you. And so when we think about the Sabbath, most of us when we think, might think, what can't I do? I would encourage you to begin thinking about what can I do? What Instead of what do I got to do, what do I get to do? Now, this is where I think it's very important for us to think as far as a in, in, in a family. Because the way I Sabbath affects the way my family Sabbaths. And I'll give you a, a, a hint. We Sabbath differently. Okay? For me, Sabbath means not doing anything. It means sitting and reading a book, watching football, whatever. It means relaxing. The kids are around, that's fantastic. The kids can be around as long as they like daddy to watch football and we'll wrestle, you know, we'll be, I'll be there. But it's, it's not a day in which I mow the yard. It's not a day in which I go out and get my, my to-do list. Okay, Sunday, that's, that's today. Today's a work day. If, I, if, I, if the to-do list hits, it's going to hit today. But my wife is very respectful. She's very good about this of, hey, are you gonna, sometimes I want to mow the yard on, on, on Saturday. That's fine if I want to. It's, a, it's an I get to, not an I got to on my Sabbath. Sometimes for me on a real hot day, I like mowing on hot days so I can go and jump in the pool. That's to me, that's fun. I'll put in headphones, that's fine. But for me, 
That's the way I Sabbath. But what I, I don't do is I don't expect my entire family to Sabbath my way because my wife, she likes to get out of the house. She sometimes likes just a, a break. Maybe she wants to go shopping, which to me would be work, would be a, a lot of painful work, grueling work. And she likes to just get away and go. And so some, sometimes, hey, this works out well. I'm going to let her go do her thing. I'm going to stay here with the kids and I'm gonna, we're going to hang out. But what we have to be respectful of is if this is a gift and this is something that's a glimpse of heaven, it can't be and I got to. And we've got to be very intentional about letting our family members Sabbath as well. We have two days on our weekends, and I would encourage you, don't spread your to-do list for your husband, your honey-do list, or for your wife or your expectations. Don't put those on one day. We need one day, God said, to where this is just for you. This is for you to enjoy his creation. So you've got to see the Sabbath as a gift from God. See the Sabbath as a glimpse of heaven. Heaven is not going, going to be a, 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 a never-ending, this is what you've got to do. This is what you gotta, it's going to be a time in which we just enjoy our relationship with God. The last thing I want you to see about the Sabbath is this, the Sabbath is an invitation. The Sabbath was meant as an invitation, and many of us miss this. Now, in Matthew, right before this, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew was there when Jesus was walking through the field. Okay? He was one of the disciples. He was walking in the same story, but he saw it from a different angle. He had a different perspective of what was important. And it's interesting. It's the same story that Peter told to, to Mark. But this time when Matthew was there, Matthew says, when I saw this, Jesus, uh, they called him out. The Pharisee says, why are you, they said to him, why are you eating on the Sabbath? Jesus' answer to me was spectacular because it set him apart from every other person I'd ever known. This is what Jesus responded, okay? First of all, said it. he says, at that time, this is in verse 1 and 2, Jesus walked through the grain fields of the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pluck the heads of grain to, to eat. But the Pharisees saw it and said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. In verse 5, he says, have you not read how the, in the law, how on the Sabbath, the priest of the temple profane the Sabbath. They do work on the Sabbath. In other words, listen, preachers preach on Sunday. People are allowed to work on the Sabbath when they're working for God. When you're doing something for God, we see that God allows some work. He goes on and he says, and what he's about to say, by the way, is one of the most profound things a, a Jewish person could hear because what he says is you're able to work on the Sabbath if you're working for the temple. Not if you're working for God, if you're working for the temple. And this is true because people would swear on the temple. The temple was the holiest thing next to the presence of God. It was where the presence of God was said to reside. And so Jewish people, the temple was everything. And so Jesus says, you know, the, the priests are able to work who are working in the temple. And then he says, I tell you, there is something greater than the temple here. Something is here that is better than the temple. This would have been borderline blasphemy, if not blasphemous, to a Jewish hearer. And then he says again, for the Son of Man, that's the title for the Messiah that one of the Old Testament prophets, Daniel, had given. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. He's referring to himself. He says, I'm greater than, than the temple, and I am here. So the question is, well, where's the invitation in that? How can we see the Sabbath as an invitation? Jesus has just basically said, I'm greater than the Sabbath. I'm greater than the temple. I am 
God. I'm the Lord, the one who makes the Sabbath where you find your rest. And what's interesting is Matthew puts the story right after he had given the biggest and greatest invitation that I think has ever been given. He looks on a bunch of people in Matthew chapter 11, just two verses before this story, three verses. And he says this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened. The NLT I put on here. Uh, it says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So what's interesting is I had a conversation just coming in with several of you, and I said, hey, how are you doing? Are you, are you tired? And many of them were, you know what, I'm just tired. Many of you said, I'm just exhausted, I'm tired. I had a, um, a couple of conversations in the past couple of weeks. I had one with, with a, a married couple, and they said, you know what, there's just so much going on. We're just overwhelmed. We just need a little bit of rest. We just need to find some peace. I had a conversation with a mother uh, just a few days ago who, who was praying for her daughter, praying for her family, and just felt like a failure all around. And she kept saying, you know what, I'm just not good enough. I'm just, I don't know what I'm doing, and, and I just need to rest. You realize that for us, God did not intend the Sabbath to be one day where we connect with God, where we find peace in not working, where we cease to work. God intended every single day to be a moment where you could find rest. And Jesus says, if you are that person, if you have a burden this morning, if you need rest, you're missing out. He says, come to me. You who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke was uh, a double meaning. It meant, first of all, it was what you would put on an oxen and you'd have to carry it um, and pull something, a heavy load. But it's also a teaching of a rabbi. It's something, it's a way that they, they would talk when they were talking about teachings of a, of a rabbi. You would put on and carry this teaching. Okay? And he says, listen, put, carry my teaching and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation Jesus gave for our Sabbath rest. You can find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's what I want you to see. 90, and this is uh, the most unscientific statistic I've ever given, 99% of people that I talk to, they misunderstand the gospel of Jesus. Every single person, even in this church, when I talk to you about how things are going, you think, you know what, it's just I'm not doing good. I'm really, really weary. My, you know, my job isn't going good. I'm not good enough at work. I'm not good enough in my relationship. I'm not doing good at school. I'm not doing good enough here. And it's always about how good enough, good you're doing. My marriage is struggling. You know, I made some mistakes. And it's always about this. What you need to understand about the invitation Jesus gave us as the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest, is Jesus looks at us and says, I will just give you rest as a family. And he invites you into the family of God. When we think about every single way that you earn something in this world, it's always about being good enough. But Jesus says, this is not going to be a kingdom. This is going to be a fatherocracy. I'm going to invite you in to our family. And the good thing about a family is even the black sheep of the family get to stay in the family. Every single person is invited into the family. 
So Jesus says, come into the family and you can have Sabbath rest every day. Every day you can know that it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how good you were not this week. This week you can have rest of knowing you are at the right place with your father. You are forgiven and eternally you will be in the presence of your God. So my hope for us today is twofold. If you've never truly followed Jesus, which I'm finding more and more, there's so many of us that have been coming to church and doing the rules, but it's about relationship over rules. If you're finding no rest in your religion, I'm going to invite you into a relationship with God, invite you to quit calling on, on God because you followed the rules and instead say, I just need a father. I just need a God who will accept me and will teach me and that if I follow him, I'll know I'm always in the family. If you want to do that today, I'm going to be over here. You can pray with me afterwards. You can also go on connectionpoint.life, but do not leave this place without your Sabbath rest. The second thing I want to say is for the rest of us that life has just gotten busy and some of us need a reset. I'm going to tell you, you need to be resetting every single week. God has set aside a day. And this is the, the unique thing about this command. This is the only command that God does with you. You understand that God does this with you. He did it before you ever did it. He said on the sixth day, he, he was, he created for six days on the seventh day. He rested, he rests with you. And so for the rest of us, my challenge this week is for you to decide to set aside a day and truly Sabbath. And the, the moment you say, oh, I can't do that, I can't take a day, that's exactly the person I'm talking to. You're the one who needs to set aside a day and just spend it with your creator, enjoying his creation, knowing that you are good enough for him. You are in the family because he made you good enough. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, it's my heart for this church that we will do away with every notion we have of the religions we might have grown up with, that we're a list of things to do, a list of ways to please God, a list of ways to please other religious people. And in the midst of that, many of us have missed out on a relationship with you. Many of us have missed the message of our Savior who has come and overcome everything that we can't accomplish so that we are free to simply be sons and daughters of God. So Lord, I pray that every one of us this week will set aside a day in which we simply remember we were once slaves. We might've been slaves to ourselves, slaves to an addiction, slaves to something we couldn't control. And we didn't set ourselves free. You set us free by your might. And on one day a week, rather than us trying to keep things going, for us just to trust you. No matter what chaos or struggles we face on that day, for us just one day to say, you know what? Today, I'm going to trust you. Lord, give us the strength to do this and bring us a peace that only you can bring. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.